And that was a radical concept for people who are used to, like most of the world, thinking that you get saved by getting religious, by making yourself good, by increasing your level of discipline and self-control or whatever. And, but the truth is, the world has always been trapped by our failure to be able to control ourselves and to make ourselves righteous. And so this message of grace is a real freeing message. It sets us loose from, the, from not only from the condemnation, but it also sets us loose from that, you know, the, the bondage and burden of it being about us and what we do. And so the message of grace is a, is a glorious one. But after he lays that out and spends three chapters just really explaining it, he wants to go on then and, and let us know that doesn't mean that your life doesn't change. Just because you tell somebody, look, you don't have to change in order for God to love you and accept you. But then that kind of begs the question, then should we change? And, and so Paul's been explaining all kinds of reasons why, of course, change needs to happen. That's what God wants to do. We've been destroying ourselves, and he wants to set us free from, from the burden of sin. So a life of grace is not a life of just, well, then forget it, just do whatever you want. It's a life whereby grace ultimately sets us free to finally have a power from within, from the Spirit of God, to actually be changed by Him. It's not we change ourselves. It's we allow Him to do His work, and as we respond to His grace, change just happens in a, in a really wonderful way. The only way that it will ever happen in a lasting way is for God to change us from the inside. Now, in the passage that we looked at last week, he took this from kind of a negative perspective. And, you know, he talked about fornication and uncleanness and covetousness and, and you know, filthiness and foolish talking, all these kinds of things and uncleanness. And he, and he said, look, that's not what life is about. That's what was destroying you. That was the problem. And so certainly there's something wrong as a Christian if your life still looks the way that everybody else's looks who doesn't know Jesus. There ought to be something that changes. It hasn't, you're not responding to his grace if you're not sensing a change in your life because you've got to move away from that which is killing you, from that which is ultimately going to bring judgment on the world. So he kind of approached that from a negative standpoint last week and said, don't be partakers in that kind of a lifestyle. Yes, you're going to fail. Yes, there are going to be days when some of those things seem to be you know, a part of your life, but don't let that be the path that you continue on. Don't keep heading in the direction of, of a fruit, fruitless life. Well, now as we come to verse 8 this morning, he changes his perspective a little bit, and instead of dealing with all the negative things about the old life and all the reasons why that was a bad idea, now he turns it around in a positive way and talks about, in a positive way, what's the Christian life supposed to be like? And as he does that, he also lets us know, here's how you are supposed to influence the world. Here is to be your response to this life. It's, 
yeah, we look at people who are lost and we go, man, they're killing themselves. Well, what are we supposed to do about that? We, yeah, of course, we don't keep doing what they're doing, but beyond that, is there a way that we are to have an influence on the world? And Paul does a, a wonderful job here of, of painting that picture. And he does it with the metaphor of darkness and light. He, he uses this as a picture, and it's one of the favorite images, one of the favorite metaphors that Jesus himself used and that is used in the Gospels and in the epistles. Peter uses it. Paul uses it in almost all of his letters to talk about the difference between light and dark. And the, the, the idea of the metaphor is really clear, but he takes it very deeply in this section. But in general, Light is where if you have light, you can see. Things are clear. Things make sense. You can walk without running into things. You're not tripping and falling all the time if the lighting is good. On the other hand, if you're in the dark, you don't get it. You don't understand. Things aren't working. And by, by describing people who are apart from Christ as being in the dark, he's not insulting them. He's saying, of course they're living the way they are. They can't see. You can't expect a person who can't see to see just because you tell them to. They're in the dark still. They need to have something shined for them so that they can see. And, and light does that. Now, over in John's gospel, John talks about this throughout the gospel of John, quoting Jesus, talking about it. But right in the beginning of the gospel of John, the first chapter, he talks about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him wasn't anything made that was made. So he's going, Jesus is the word. He's there from before the beginning. He created everything. (coughs) But then, as he goes on to express it, He talks about the incarnation. In fact, why don't you go ahead and turn over there because this is really important to what Paul is saying here. He describes Jesus coming into the world as being enlightening. Of course, this is a favorite metaphor of New Agers and people like that too, but, but God came up with it first. But after he says, nothing was made without him, in verse 4 of John chapter 1, he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. In other words, the darkness couldn't kill the light. Darkness never can kill light, by the way. But light can do away with darkness. And then he goes on and talks about John the Baptist, and he says in verse 7, this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Jesus coming to this world was like the sun coming up on a dark night. All of a sudden, you see glimmers of that light sparkling, and, and next thing you know, man, it's a great day. I, I love any day where I get to see the sunrise. Because you got a good start on the day, and now it's bright, sunrises are beautiful, and it's just, it's the way to start a day. Well, that was what Jesus was to this world. It was the sun coming up. And, and so this metaphor is used a bunch. Turn a couple pages over to John chapter 3. Jesus talking to Nicodemus. 
And you're familiar with John 3.16, and we'll read that and move on a little bit further. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So again, Jesus coming and shedding light. Now, turn over in John a little further to John (coughs) chapter 8. The story of the woman who was caught in adultery. And you remember the story. These guys caught this woman. I don't know how you catch a woman in adultery without catching a man in adultery, but (laughs) somehow they managed. And... uh, And they brought this lady to Jesus there in the outskirts of the temple, and they said, hey, what what should we do with this lady? We caught her in the very act of adultery, and doesn't the law say we should stone her? And Jesus said, yeah, go ahead. But he said, whoever is without fault, you cast the first stone. You throw the first stone. Then he stooped down and was writing in the ground. Whatever he was writing convicted them, because from the oldest to the youngest, they walked away. And after they did, Jesus raised himself up in verse 10 of John chapter 8. And he saw no one but the woman, and he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What a, what a beautiful passage. And Jesus going, I, I don't condemn. He had told Nicodemus the same thing as we saw in John chapter 3. I came to shine the light. I am the light. He set this girl free. I mean, the, the Pharisees and those who tried to convict her were shining the light on her sin, the light of their conviction. And Jesus said, I'm, I don't condemn you. I want to set you free. You don't have to keep living this way. Go and don't, don't live like this anymore. I'm the light of the world. In the next chapter, and we're not going to go all through the Gospel of John, but in chapter 9, he heals a blind guy, and then he goes, I'm the light of the world. Now, back in Ephesians chapter 5, in light of all of that, one more thing I should mention is over in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, you know, after he's been saying, I'm the light of the world, he told the disciples, you are the light of the world. And he said, if you got a light, you don't put it under a bushel, you put it out there where people can see it. So let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So he is the light of the world. He's the one who brings illumination to everything. And yet, we, there's a sense in which we are the light of the world also, but we're, he's like the sun coming up, and we're like the moon. The moon doesn't have a light of its own. 
But it's plenty bright. I mean, on a, on a moonlit night, you can function. You can get around pretty good. But the moon is just a piece of rock that reflects the light of the sun. I think most of you probably knew that. But, and, and that's kind of what we are. The idea is if he shines his light on us and we accurately reflect his light, then we become a light even as the Son of God is the light. Okay, So keep those things in mind. Now let's look at Ephesians 5, verse 8. He says, For you were once darkness. He just said, don't be partakers in all this crud. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So he says, you have light in you. The Holy Spirit has been placed in you. And the fruit of that is a light that can shine forth and bring illumination and bring blessing and bring clarity to everything else around you. You're here to have an effect. But, he said, here's what it looks like. As he says there in in verse 9, it looks like goodness. That's speaking of character, just being a good person. Again, same word that Jesus used when he said, let people see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So being a good person, righteousness speaks of making the right decisions. It's more of a judicial term. And then truth Declaring the truth and just being honest, being who you are. And he says it's finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. That's a really good description of not only being filled with the Spirit, and in Galatians, Paul goes into more detail and says love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control as the fruit of the Spirit. But it's the kind of life that Jesus lived, and it's the kind of life that he wants to live through us. And as we grow in that... We take on his character, and we find out it's acceptable to God. We we find out that we're pleasing God when we're letting him live through us, okay? Now, so he explains that to let us know what light looks like. But now he goes on, and he says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. So he says, you're children of light, but you have a responsibility to respond and to interact with those people who are in darkness. The reason that you're a light is so that you can shine. So when you look at a world that's dark, it's not enough to go, boy, look how dark that world is. I'm so glad it's light in here. I'm so glad I'm not like all those people who are stumbling and fumbling and ruin their lives. I'm not like that. I'm light. No, he goes, the point of light is that light can wipe out darkness by just a simple, I mean, lighting in in a room this size, if it's completely dark and you light a match, it's amazing how much light a little bit of light can take out darkness. Now, again, so he's calling us to this responsibility, but it's confusing. And this passage is like 
it seems to be sending mixed signals because it says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. He already said, don't be partakers in it. Now he's saying, don't even be in the neighborhood. Don't have any contact or interaction or connection or interest. No fellowship with darkness. Well, if you do that, how are you supposed to shine in the dark? And he, and he says, though, then he, he says, you know, don't have fellowship with them, but expose them. Well, how are you supposed to expose them if you don't have fellowship with them, if you're, if you're completely away from all of that? And then he goes, by the way, it's shameful even to speak of those things, so don't be involved in it and don't speak of it. How do you expose it without speaking of it? All things are exposed or made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. And the nature of how light affects darkness is the key to understanding this passage. Um, but basically, people usually have to kind of choose a lot of times. Now, there are people who love the idea of exposing the darkness and go, we are the light and we need to shine the light on this darkness that's here. And as a result, they violate the mandate that you shouldn't speak about it and you shouldn't fellowship with it. And their whole life is focused on sin and wanting to show people how bad the world is. And so they write books and they have web pages and they do everything else to, to try to like, look how bad it is. I, I, always, I always think it's so weird that there are people and, and they believe that their ministry is to go watch every movie that's out there and to keep score. Okay, how many nudities? How many profanities? How many? So that they can tell people, that's a really bad movie. Or they like go, there, there's some book that's written by some goofy, you know, new age person. And so they go, I need to really study that book so I can show people how bad it is. It's like, wait a minute, that's not how it works. And the truth is, and, and a lot of times what we do is we end up glorifying what's wrong and talking about how dark it is, but we're not having an impact on the dark, not at all. We're actually bringing attention to it. A lot of the goofy weirdness that's out there, even in, you know, the, in the pagan world, is created as a reaction to, uh, to Christians making such a big deal about darkness and sin. You know, there are some people who sincerely want to like have a relationship with Satan, but most of the people out there who are even Satanists, even, even the, you know, the, the Church of Satan and the Satanic Bible, it was written in order to just be the opposite of everything that we are. I mean, nobody really finds that life with Satan will make your life full. There's nobody, there aren't a bunch of people out there who are like, man, I just love darkness. I just, I, I just love living this life that's just so satisfying, believing in nothing. And, and the, the truth is, a life of darkness does a really good job of itself of being self-defeating. And for us to call attention to that, and you know, there are people who have pointed out that when people in the banks who need to recognize counterfeit money, they don't study all the counterfeit money because somebody else is going to make a new one that's different. What they do is study real money. 
And when you know real money, you can recognize a counterfeit easily. What, what Paul is saying here is your influence is to be like a, a candle in the dark. Your light is what will expose the darkness. But how does it expose the darkness and actually can do away with it? The word there that's translated expose, that's not probably the best translation. The word there is a legal term that refers to disproving something. It's like a, a response to something, a rebuttal argument that disproves and takes away the power of a, an opposing argument. And what Paul is saying here is the way that you live your life should shine in such a way that, that the, the value of darkness is just ridiculous. That people see, and again, it's exactly what Jesus said. The people would see your good works and glorify your Father. So let your light shine. That is, live life allowing the Spirit of God to guide you and to lead you. Continue to accept his forgiveness and his blessing. Notice and, and call attention to how gracious he is. Realize that, man, you don't have to do anything to earn it. It's a gift of God. It's for free. What does that do to your life? It sets you free, and it lights you up. It causes you to just be full of joy because it's like, man, all the burden that I was carrying, all the chains that were on me, they've been torn loose. I'm free. I don't have to impress anyone. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to earn anything, I'm, I'm set free. And what does that do ultimately? That changes your life. And you know it's working if you see, I'm good. I want the right things. I want to bless others. I'm, I'm starting to act more like Jesus acted, graciously and caring of people. See, if you live a really religious life, quite often that is something that will be completely repulsive to others. In the first century, there were these Pharisees who took great pride in the fact that we're better than everyone else. You'll never catch us having fun. You'll never catch us laughing. You'll never have, we are the righteous ones. And they had recruiting problems. You know, I, <laughs> you're not going to meet a lot of Pharisees today. And the truth is, when Christians are legalistic, when they live that way, it's a recruiting problem. Nobody looks at you and they go, wow, look at you. I've never seen you smile or laugh. You don't seem to enjoy life at all. You're, you're afraid to make a move because you're afraid it might violate some rule. Where do I sign up? You know, you, you look at that and you go, man, I don't want anything to do with that. There's an old expression that no one really knows where it came from. It, it became kind of well-known when John Kennedy was nominated for president, and in his acceptance speech, he used this term. It supposedly goes back to China and different places, but it's the expression that, that says, you can either curse the darkness or you can light a candle. And the idea is, okay, you can sit there and fight against darkness all you want, but lighting a candle will do more to take away darkness than anything else that you can do. Bruce Coburn had a song, and he had a line in the song that I really loved about the frustration of, 
of, of trying to have a good relationship. And, and he said, you kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. That's the way some people live their lives. Like, I got to kick at the darkness and somehow light's going to come out. No, it's not. And if we live our lives focused on darkness, and if we allow ourselves to, to be consumed with that, light's not going to come forth. And, and sadly, there are a lot of Christians who know all there is to know about this movement or that problem or this sin or do you understand what these people actually do in the dark? No, and I don't want to know. Please don't tell me. Some of the most disgusting things, some of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my life were Christians sent me emails and said, you've got to check this link out. And then I go check the link out and it's, oh, some TV show where these two women are making out or whatever. I'm like, did I really need to see that in order to, I mean, but Christians become consumed with, with sin and that's backwards and that's wrong and it's crazy. We've been set free from that. We don't need to talk about it. We don't need to fellowship with it and we don't fight against sin. That's not, that's his department, you know, and we're not battling against flesh and blood. It's, it's principalities and powers. That's where the battle lies. And how do we respond to that? We're going to see later in the book when we talk about the armor of God. It's, you, don't, you don't become an expert on sin so you can get rid of it. You don't go and try to impress people with how much you know about the darkness. Turn a light on. Live a life that's good and righteous and honest and true. That's something that they can't fake. Now, personally, you know, we're all somewhat interested in what's wrong. You know, we're like people rubbernecking on the freeway to want to see the accident or, you know, oh, yeah, I better go look at this and see how bad it really is. And a part of it is when I emphasize someone else's sin, for one thing, if I'm going to really harp on sin, I always pick a sin that I don't commit, because then I can feel so good about it, you know? So, like, I, I can, it's easy for me to rant about smoking, because I haven't smoked a cigarette since I was 17, 18 years old. Sorry, Mom. She didn't even know I did then. But, <laughs> so I can go, oh, you smokers, but let's not talk about chocolate cake. And it's like, nicotine, chocolate, I'm... I'm just saying, uh, what are you going to harp on? What are you going to pick on? You're, you're going to go after that which makes you look good and other people look bad. And that almost completely explains the way we prioritize sins. The bad ones are the ones we don't do. The ones that we're not even tempted to do. The ones that don't offer any you know, purpose at all. You're not going to see preachers getting up in the pulpit and harping for 20 minutes on driving over the speed limit, that, to me, I, don't, I haven't quite worked it out biblically, but I don't think it's a sin at all. <laughs> but, and, I, and I have all sorts of good justifications for it. <laughs> but that's why... I can't trust myself to preach on specific sins and to emphasize them. 
Because you know what? The truth is, and we've seen it here in Ephesians so clearly, if people are in the darkness, they're going to figure that out. If you're living your life in a, in a destructive way, it's going to destroy you. And God's going to use that ultimately to show you that there's a way out. You don't have to be this way. But if what I am is an angry, hateful, bitter person to tell you how bad you are, that's not going to draw you to the light. The only thing that draws anyone is the attractiveness of life well-lived, of somebody who gets it and they live their life in a way that it seems to work. You know, there are some people, maybe some of you who, when you're at work, you're a really lazy worker and you're angry and people don't like you and you're a tyrant and, and you know, some of you are that way personally with your families and other things. And frankly, there are some people who are Christians, professing Christians, who are just jerks. If you're a jerk, shut up about God. Don't go tell, don't go tell people about Jesus and then they go, oh, okay, he's kind of like you. But if you, but if you love people and you want to do good for them, the time to tell your neighbor that you're a Christian is when you're bringing them a pie or mowing their lawn for them or letting them know that you're praying for them or something. Not while you're... See, the way we think of the light a lot of times is like a, a, a beam of light, a two million candle power light that a detective shines in somebody's eyes when they're going to break them of their, of their lies and their stories. And we're like... Here, um, let me share the light with you. Come on, and I'm, now, come on, fess up. Look at this. Stare at it. And it's like, that's not, light isn't welcome when it comes like that. Use a fader. Ease it in. <laughs> Let people realize this, this is, life's working for me. And, and let them see if there's something about your life that draws them. That's the way Jesus was. People were drawn to him. He wasn't out there nailing sinners so they, because they didn't know that they were messed up. People who don't have Jesus know they're messed up. But if we are so stinking arrogant about the fact that we think we aren't, and then they watch our lives and they go, it ain't working for you either. What are you telling me for? <laughs> they're not going to be drawn. And so Paul's going, live your life. Walk in the light, you're, you're children of light. He goes on in verse 14 to say, wake up, you're asleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Stop, you know, Keith Green had a song called Asleep in the Light. That's such a powerful statement. It was a powerful song too. Uh, it was when he was on his more condemning streak against Christians, but it worked with me because so often, that's the way we live our lives. We're like walking like we're in the darkness ourselves, and we're screaming about light. Just let your light shine so that people will see that it's working for you, so that people will see your good works, and, and then they'll be drawn like, like a moth to a light. They'll, they'll like, they can't stay away. They've got to know what it is with you, but if you haven't figured out how to make it work for yourself, then don't think that people are going to come to you and want what you have. What you have isn't working for you yet. They're not going to want it. But what you have can work for you. What you have 
can transform you. In fact, you are the light. It's just a question if you can get your bushel basket out of the way so people can see that light. If you are a child of God, deep down inside, what you want to be is loving and caring and kind. and You want that. But there are other hang-ups and reasons why you haven't been able to work that out yet. And a whole lot of them, it might be the way you were raised, it might be condemnation that people have piled on you, it might be the way you were trying too hard to be a Christian and beating yourself up and always in condemnation, it might be you're manipulated by other people. For whatever it is, get rid of that stuff. Move away and move into the light and let him shine on you. And it's all about his grace. It's all about responding to him. I'm telling you, it works. And that's what Paul is explaining here in as many different ways as he possibly can. It's God's grace. Receive it. No, you've been set free. You, you, you don't have to be blind anymore. He's given you everything that you need. You're covered. You've given your life to him. You're on your way to heaven. He's forgiven you. And he has given you, he's licensed you as a distributor of his grace. He's told you, I have poured my grace on you and I'm gonna let you pour it wherever you want. I'm gonna let you distribute that grace yourself. When people see that, it's powerful stuff. When people see those who are living a free life, that they're not all hung up and stuck up and focused on what's wrong with every, but they're just lighting their candle. They're letting it shine. They're living their life. That's a powerful way to ultimately change the world. Better than all your marching and crusading and screaming and debating and all. None of that's ever worked. It didn't work for the Pharisees. It's not working for us. If your life is working, it shows the fruit of the Spirit. I'm really not interested in hearing an argument from anybody who's angry or hateful or mean. Unless I know somebody cares about me, I don't care what they have to say. And everybody else is that way too. It's true, the way to get an audience and the way to shine a light is to, as he says, the fruit of the Spirit, goodness, righteousness, truth, finding out what's acceptable to the Lord, responding to his grace and distributing his grace, allowing him to change your life, to change you into what he is and who he is. And when that happens, the light shines, and guess what? The darkness doesn't have a chance. The darkness cannot compete with light. And that's what he's saying. You don't need to study the dark. You don't need to focus on it. In fact, you shouldn't even talk about it. You pay attention to the light. And you shine your light, darkness will be gone. The life of grace that God gives us is what everyone in this world really wants and really needs. But if if we don't live it and we don't show it, they're not gonna understand. And they'll continue to live in darkness. And there we are, and ultimately, if you leave a bushel basket on on a candle long enough, it'll burn the basket. It's not gonna do any good. It's just gonna make a bigger mess. May God help us to live this life of grace and to trust grace to transform us and to believe that we don't have to blaze the light into people's eyes to burn their corneas, that we can just live 
as a light, and the darkness will be done away with. That's how it happened for us. That's how it always happens. That's how Jesus lived it. That's our challenge. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word, and thank you for shining your light on us and placing it within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Sorry about the way we don't live life the way you've designed it. Sorry about the times when we used your name to bring darkness instead of light. Lord, help us to just receive your light. Help us to stop trying to make a light of our own, invent new ways of light. Help us to be satisfied to reflect your love and your grace to a world that's in the dark, that doesn't understand grace, that thinks it's too good to be true. Lord, shine your grace off of us in such a way that is distributed to others and before they know it, the darkness just flees in the face of your glorious light. Lord, thank you for being who you are. We will not be satisfied with anything less than us bearing your family resemblance as children of light. In Jesus' name, amen.